This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by... Bob Keipel. We're pleased to welcome Kevin Boodleman to the show today. Uh, Kevin is a co-founder and president of People Design, a strategic design firm based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, People Design works with a variety of businesses, education, healthcare, manufacturing, finance, and consumer products ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Um, Kevin also serves as a global president of the Interaction Design Association and has co-authored a book entitled Brand Identity Essentials. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me. Well, let's start it off. I've got an easy one for you. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about people design and the type of work that you do there? Sure, Uh, thanks for that. So uh, People Design is a small consulting company that I helped co-found over 20 years ago. And uh, we focus uh, today on what we describe as business design, brand design, and service design. And these are, you know, in our minds, overlapping concepts and um, ideas that have been floating around in the marketplace for a number of years. Um, They are all centered around the idea of human-centered design and experience. Ideas around creating meaning and experience, uh, good experiences for customers. And um, it's sort of based on some methodologies that we have developed, but also ideas around design thinking and business strategy and um, customer experience ideas and um, uh, things that uh, add value to companies along those lines. So you said uh, human-centered design and design thinking. Those are kind of buzzwordy kind of things. Like, at least in my experience, I had not heard a lot about design thinking until the last few years, I'll just say, and you've been in this company for 20 years. Um, When did that really get born or get into the consciousness of people in general? So I think the the term design thinking uh, was popularized by uh, some of the folks from IDEO. Um, uh, Tim Brown, I think, wrote a book called Business by Design. Uh, I think it was was the title where he first started talking about the idea of design thinking. Um, It's become... uh, a much, very much of a buzzword in the business community, I think largely because people look at companies, particularly like Apple, and um, you know, try to scratch their heads and wonder how that happened. <laughs> and of course, the, the answer to that question is complicated. Mm-hmm. But uh, design as, a, as an idea has started to become part of the business zeitgeist in the last decade or so in particular, in part because of IDEO. Um, but also, I think it's been part of the, the narrative around um, innovation in general and how companies can be more systemic about their innovation practices and uh, design design led innovation is one mode uh, is the way I would look at it 
I think design thinking is, um, depending on where you're coming from, um, certainly there are people who are would consider themselves to be practitioners who uh, have talked about it so much that they think it's old hat. It's already kind of a, uh, a tired idea that everyone's ready to move on from. And yet, um, I talk to clients every day who have never even heard of it and um, they benefit from some of the ideas. So, mm-hmm. Kevin, for the uninitiated, uh, can, can you describe what human-centered design means and why it's important to experience design? Sure. So, you know, the idea of human-centered design um, has just increased in popularity as, an, as a concept over the last, you know, several, several decades, really. But, you know, from our perspective, you know, design is always about people. And that's why we call ourselves people design. But so the idea of design being human centered shouldn't be a new notion. Um, but the, the, the general idea, though, started from really from product design. Uh, you know, as soon as, you know, part of it came out of actually the automotive industry. And, and when, when products started being produced at a mass scale, and, you know, as the industrial era became more mature, um, you know, as soon as we started making car seats, we thought about things like ergonomics and human factors. Uh, the idea of making products more usable, at the very least not dangerous, but actually more usable, more safe, um, and more ergonomically correct, but even getting into things around uh, potentially sustainability, other kinds of dynamics. There are all these other kinds of sort of human factors that have started to come into play uh, when products are, were being created. Um, and then you throw in, t- you know, what's happening today in the digital era, digital products. There's a lot to be said about usability uh, in design and making sure that people can actually perform, let's say, the checkout process on an on a e-commerce store, those kinds of things. And so the idea of human-centered design is trying to organize uh, the, the criteria for success and the methods for making uh, based on a better understanding of human motives, um, biases, understanding uh, to create better products and services. So how, how does it manifest, how does human-centered design manifest itself in service design? So you mentioned online, but what about, what about offline? What, what considerations do you, do you take and approaches do you take in that? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, I, we think of service design, service to, in fact, I just wrote an article about this recently. There are a lot of terms that are being thrown around um, today, service design, um, experience design, user interface design, UX, you know, UX. Yep. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm part of this interaction design association, and they all talk about interaction design. They're all, the common denominator in my mind is trying to deal with experience. And of course, we can't actually design people's experiences directly, but we can design the artifacts and the circumstances uh, that affect people's experience. And what we can do is we can think about um, the journey that they take. And I think that that journey can be a digital journey, but it can certainly be a physical journey. In fact, we often, the lens, lenses that we often use when we think about experience um, are digital, uh, physical, and personal, meaning you might have digital artifacts, you might have physical artifacts, and you might have people, human beings. And these things aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, very often, let's say in a retail environment, you might interact with all three. There might be a salesperson, you're dealing with a clothing rack, and you also might deal with some kind of an app or 
certainly at the checkout process you might be dealing with some electronics. Um, the common denominator though for, from, from an experience design standpoint is, is time. Is you're dealing with a journey as the, as the customer moves through a space, moves through time, sort of before, during, and after. Is there one of those three that you would say is the most uh, important or does it just depend? Uh, physical, digital, personal? Yeah. It depends. So for, from our perspective, we look at it as kind of a lens. If you can ima if you map out a customer's experience or a customer journey from beginning to end, and you can look at a kind of a, a holistic process in terms of their whole customer experience or a very micro process, literally just a checkout process. Any one of those portions of the experience in our minds might have a physical component, it might have a digital component, it might have a person. And I think that um, the mix becomes a choice. And I think we, so we use, very often the, we use the same uh, tools as a lens to analyze a problem as also the solution set. So one way to analyze what's happening in a current, in a current state would be, okay, does it involve a person? Are you using electronic, an electronic device? Is there a physical environment or a physical product? Um, and then that's the incoming formula. The, the output might be different. Like maybe we remove the person, maybe we add a digital thing, maybe we do something, maybe we you know, think about it as a graphic equalizer, you might increase one and decrease another, or eliminate one altogether. So it's just a way to innovate a little bit differently. Yep. So what, 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 tools, what tools do you guys utilize to understand all of this from, from the consumer's standpoint? You know, the, the primary, we're, we're big advocates for um, user research, qualitative user research. Uh, not that quantitative isn't uh, a big part of things generally, but we're, you know, so um, from a methodology standpoint, we're very much you know, instructed by trying to find, understand, you know, the user motives and, and so on. And then, and then in terms of like the actual, you know, analysis, you know, we have our own kind of methods for trying to think through, and a lot of it's informed by, you know, standard kind of MBA practices, business modeling, that's that sort of thing. Um, and then the outputs are very often along the lines, as I mentioned, around business or value propositions, um, brand, and then uh, service, which is to say sort of service, uh, you know, customer journey maps and that sort of thing. Mm. So um, before I ask my next question, I have another question that, just came to mind here. So again, biz, uh, we're talking about the digital, the physical, and the personal. Of those three, which one's the hardest to fix in a company? <laughs> I feel like I know the answer, but I, I wonder what people. I think yes. Uh, yeah, there you go. I think it's 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 interesting. So a, a colleague of mine, for example, uh, has a has a consulting business that focuses on wayfinding, and. Um, and so, you know, overtly, they actually work in, you know, signage systems. They also work in, often in institutional environments, so education, hospitals, that sort of thing. And as is often the case, you know, the, cl the clients often want to think about in terms of, you know, navigating a hospital is primarily about, you know, getting the right sign, getting to the right division. Or, and of course, you know, what's seen as an innovative practice, of course, is making a digital sign kind of a, you know, that might be even responsive to somebody coming sure. in. But, you know, 90% 90, 90 of the time, most wayfinding is handled by the person standing at the desk. <laughs> yep. Somebody walks up and says, hey, how do I get over to, you know, wherever? And they, mm -hmm. they answer the question. And, you know, you can see that as a failure of the signage system. But the truth is, that's, that's one of the most, um, most, most effective ways of actually solving that problem. And then it becomes a question of training. And, of course, training a person or retraining a person is way harder than programming 
and way harder than, harder than building a product. I, I think ultimately though, it's, you know, the, the most empowered solution is some combination of these things. Yep. Um, so you mentioned hospitals, which makes me think of the whole COVID thing, of course. And in your business, how has COVID elevated the importance of human-centered design and how is it reflected in the work you're doing right now at People Design? Well, so I think that um, the lens of physical, digital, personal has um, been a, a helpful aid uh, to think about um, the kind of customer journey and how you might change it. The, the basic uh, notion that, um, you know, so I think prior to the COVID situation, removing people was a great way to eliminate uh, cost. You know, of course, this is the, which is, you know, for better or worse, right? I mean, if we, we see it by automation and what Amazon and many other companies have done, where you're increasingly taking people out of the equation because they're, as you mentioned, it's in some ways the harder part of the problem. It's um, they're expensive, that sort of thing, which has lots of implications that I won't get into here at least at the moment. But there's no question that now with the uh, an additional lens around um, uh, infection control, um, there's a whole other layer of like what role people should play, and or or can can you accomplish the same task with fewer people, um, or certainly if there's a person involved. What does that mean in terms of physical barriers or mask wearing or other kinds of policies that will have to be in place? I mean, there's no question from, from a technological standpoint that, um, you know, we're, we're just at the beginning of what is probably going to be another 20, 30 year uh, period of innovation around um, touchless interactions. I mean, you can be sure that everything from hotel rooms and bathrooms and you know, we all experienced it in airports when we, you know, try to use the faucet and don't, you know, touchless kind of turning things on in public spaces. We'll see that more and more, I, I believe. So, which is to say, it's starting to maybe consider seriously what role the person, the human plays, but also what role technology might play. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my understanding that at the core of, of, of design thinking and human-centered design is empathy, which given people's fragile emotional states these days because of the, you know, fearing for their financial future and their, and their health. Um, how, 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 how does that change the way we as designers look, look, look at customers, you know? And, and I think what's interesting is because we have to minimize personal contact, we're being driven into these digital channels at a time when really we need people now more than than ever and and how do organizations overcome that how do you you know yeah. how do you demonstrate empathy and care and concern and and do so in a in the environment you know people working remotely and you know i it's it's quite a conundrum it it, it, it certainly is i and I, I there are no easy answers but i i do think that one of the the idea of uh, bringing the uh, empathy into a discussion about in, in a business context, I think is, you know, a pessimistic point of view would be to say that, that you know, that's hard to, you know, that how, how important are the feelings in this? And I think that the, the part that is often mischaracterized or misunderstood when we talk about empathy is the basic kind of tenet that you can ask people what they want, but they can't necessarily tell you what they need. 
you know, and this, this is like the classic sort of Henry Ford quote about, you know, if he asked his customer what they want, they'd all ask for a faster horse, not a car. And similarly, you know, we talk about it in talks all the time. Nobody asked for an iPhone, right? I mean, right. <laughs> it's not like, so, I mean, the question is, what is an individual trying to achieve? And what baggage or intelligence or understanding do they bring to the problem? Is that more, so that's a, like a broader definition of empathy, if you will. And I think that's true about, trying to serve uh, customers, but it's also true about trying to serve, you know, employees and staff. I think so, where, as you say, working remotely, what, you know, just doing a survey isn't necessarily gonna answer the question about what people need. They can tell you what they want, and they might want fewer hours, they might want less work, they might want more money, whatever, but what are they really, well, you know, the underlying motive, as my partner, uh, Jake, often describes, what's the thing behind the thing? What's, what's really, you know, so, which is, which, you know, it starts to, it, it, it uh, veers dangerously into psychology, of course, and so we become sort of armchair psychologists in a sense, but I think it's a question of trying to understand, you know, understanding the things about behavior and habit and emotional state and how that affects people's decision making, um, I think becomes not easy, but a critical part of this, the, the answer for what's going to be useful. So to that point, what, what recommendations would, would you make to companies for them to act in a more empathetic way, given, given the fragile state that both their customers and employees are in today? Well, you know, I think the, you know, our kind of uh, the premise or the, the main tenets of, or what we're seeking to the problems we're trying to solve, I guess, for our, our clients sort of fall into two buckets. We think about it as meaning and experience. And those, what's interesting about those ideas is that what's true for customers is often also true for employees. And so when we talk about meaning, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about purpose, purpose-driven organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jim Collins would talk about sort of the hedgehog idea, um, what Simon Sinek is starting with why, right? There's a lot of these ideas around what is the core idea? And we believe, and you know, and one way to express that is through a brand, you know, and what's the core value proposition and even organizations that start to find more altruistic ways to have meaning in terms of, you know, giving things away, Tom's shoes, um, those kinds of things, Um, or even sustainability. We have clients who's, you know, their primary you know, one of our clients has been Interface, the carpet company in Atlanta. Um, but they, you know, they overtly make carpet, but they're but they're actually trying to become carbon negative <laughs> through mm-hmm. their products, which is remarkable. Um, so they clearly have, you know, in Patagonia, companies like that, that have a different kind of purpose. I don't think every company needs to have that level of purpose to have some meaning. You know, bringing meaning to employees um, and what they, and, and, and the customers, you know, as it mentions at the, at the in your introduction, you know, higher ed education is a very meaningful thing. You know, uh, healthcare is a very meaningful thing. Um, so meaning is one piece, and then how that meaning is, is expressed is through experience. Um, so I think that these, you know, this those sort of foundational pieces haven't changed um, through the current state of things um, in terms of goals, but they certainly have changed. What is meaningful today? May, may have a totally different lens on the other side of this pandemic. Um, what people's experiences are, 
are very different uh, than maybe what it was before. So it's, it's, it's definitely hit a kind of a hard reset for a lot of organizations, a lot of whole industries, frankly. Well, you know, and I've always thought it's when times are toughest, when, when either a customer has a problem with a company or people are, are going through hard times. It's how a company responds and really earns the trust um, or reinforces why, why they got into that relationship in the first point. Um, the outcomes can be really positive. Yeah, it's true. It makes me think about that. You know, there are all these, these stories about companies that messed up some customer interaction and then, you know, uh, saved the day by, you know, giving the customer their money back or some very positive interaction. And, and as a result of that mistake and then correcting it, actually created a customer for right? I mean, this is sort of like one of these kind of classic kind of customer experience notions. And you could, I think you're right. There, there's, we're almost at a systemic level of failure and the opportunity to either become a hero or, <laughs> to, or, or to, to not respond well. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a real, it, I think it's a test of leadership and courage and, um, and whether or not, you know, I honestly, this meaning and experience idea, not to touch on that so much, but I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's question people's relationship with their employers and, and what role they're playing in their, in, in their world when, you know, things become a little more life and death. Well, I know a couple of companies in state, uh, Ally, uh, Ally Financial and United Shore, they, they've taken great steps to, to keep their employees and provide them with mental health counseling and, and benefit and, and child care. And, and uh, you, you got to think that's going to pay back in spades. Not that's why they're doing it. They're doing it because, you know, back to what you said about meaning and values and organizational values. But yeah, I'll I tell Tremendous impact, tremendous impact. I tell you, it doesn't have to be big things too. I'm a, as a as a customer, I was somewhere where I needed to sign something, you know. So all of a sudden, I'm touching a pen, you know, and I sign it, and the woman says, "Give me that," <laughs> okay? And she takes the pen. She goes, "We clean these," you know. Right. It's such a small thing, yeah. and to, I'm thinking, "Oh, cool." Just, yeah. Right. Show, show a level of empathy and concern. Yep. It's a, it's a little things. Yeah. yeah, it's true. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of signaling and symbolism in those in those things, and even just those. I've often thought. In fact, there's a. I was thinking about this in the in the subject of another article. I was thinking about writing about how it's. We talk a lot about touch points and touch point map, customer journey mapping, and all those kinds of things. And I think what happens is that though, not all touch points are created equal, right? There's you know. So it's funny these these individual some of these key interactions can have a huge impact on your perception of the whole yep. whole thing, right? And, and, and um, so it, it's, it's interesting from the standpoint of how do you, where do you put your resources and what's, what's really important? Yeah, and what, what weight customers put on each touch point. And yeah. Well, thanks, Kevin. This has been a great discussion. I know we could go on for hours and hours, but I know you're, you're Zoomed out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Well, we had a great time chatting with you. Maybe next time all three of us can meet over a beer somewhere. That'd be great. Thank you very much. <laughs> Back when it's, a lot, when it's a long. Well, and thank you listeners for listening in on another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. We look forward to uh, chatting with you again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.